Love the openness and just honesty of just seeing what God's doing in somebody's life. And Katie's one of our nearly 80 students that's around the country, and our Guatemala team's leaving today. We'll be around the world here uh, in a, a few uh, 24 hours or so, uh, sharing the love of Christ with people. So keep praying for them and their safety. Uh, the trips have been awesome so far. And, and as we shared, if, if you were here at the beginning of the service, you saw that bumper video. We're launching into a new series that we're calling I Am, and it's based around these seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself in the book of John. And, and so that's what we're going to be looking at the next seven weeks here at H2O, diving into, finding out what Jesus says about himself. And really the heart of this series, the, the hope that we have as we're thinking about preparing for it, praying for it, is that we as a church would continue to get to know Jesus and who he really is. Uh, you know, when we think about just knowing somebody, we know that there is, there, there is personal knowledge of people and then there is impersonal knowledge of people, right? And all the different relationships that we have in life, there is a personal connection that we have with people sometimes, but there's also impersonal connections. And oftentimes uh, we mistake those two. Oftentimes we have impersonal connections with people that we think are personal. I was thinking about that for myself and I remember as a kid, growing up, uh, I loved baseball, and I loved this one particular player. His name was Cal Ripken Jr., okay? And, and Cal Ripken Jr. was really famous uh, for playing and being one of these guys who was like a workhorse. He, he went uh, over 2,000 games, 2,632 games in a row with starting every single baseball game, that many games in a row. So as a kid, I could tell you a ton about Cal Ripken Jr. I could tell you that he played for the Orioles. I could tell you that he he played shortstop. I could tell you that his dad was his manager for a while, that his brother Billy, he played with him for a while. I could tell you all of his stats and the positions that he played. I had a ton of knowledge about who Cal Ripken Jr. was. It was almost like I knew him. In fact, he could have like walked into a room and I could have been like, that's Cal Ripken Jr., man. And I could have went up to him and I could have shaked his I would have been able to pick him out. I knew what he looked like. I knew a ton of facts about him. But obviously, you know, we know that I didn't actually know him, right? Like, I, I knew him, but I didn't know him. I, I knew a bunch of information about him, but I certainly didn't know him on a personal level. And, and the hope with this series is that, especially for a lot of us, you know, maybe some of us, we've grown up in church or we've grown up around hearing about who Jesus is, and we know a great deal of facts and maybe even information about him. But the hope of this series is that we go from just kind of an impersonal knowledge of who he is to more of a personal, intimate, connection with him. Social psychologists say that, that, that to actually know somebody personally, to move from just knowing somebody impersonally to personally, that we need to connect with them, that we need to have a personal conversation, that we need to know things that are maybe a little bit more private. We need to know things about their heart and their hopes and their dreams, not just facts, but things about their character and the essence of of who they actually are, things that you can't just see on the outside, but things that go a little bit deeper than that. And that's what this series is all about, is trying to connect us to Jesus in that way. We want to unpack these seven I am statements of Jesus and get to know him on a more personal level. You know, when we think about those words, I am, they're two really simple words, aren't they? You know, like just three letters, I am. Two really simple words, but they are also extremely powerful words. 
I am. Because what comes after those three letters, what comes after those two simple words is extremely informative about a person. You know, when we make an I am statement, it means something about us. It, you know, it could be a little bit more surface level, like uh, I'm hungry, you know, or I'm tired, or I'm busy, or it could be much more deeper than that. It could get to the essence of who we are. I am loved. I am hurting. And so when we say words like I am, it gets people's attention. And so Jesus made these statements I am the God of the universe coming down to earth and saying those, those very powerful words. And I think it's important that we take time to figure out who he is so that we can connect with him. Now, it's really interesting as we, we look at the Bible because uh, those words, I am, are actually even more powerful words than in our culture and our world today. In the Old Testament, as God started revealing himself to humanity during that time, people were, were getting acquainted with God in the Old Testament in the very beginning. And so they said, you know, what should we call you, God? And, and God reveals himself as Yahweh in Hebrew. Maybe you've heard that before if you've ever been in church. God in the Old Testament refers, himself at, refers to himself as Yahweh. Well, Yahweh in Hebrew literally means I am. I am. You know, God, in essence, is saying, listen, you can't really even define me, so just know that, that I exist, that I am everywhere, that I am. That's who I am. I am who I am. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, and John, specifically in the book that we're going to look at for all seven of these I am statements, when he says, I am, and then he follows it up with some type of metaphor, Jesus is telling us how he relates to us, but he's also saying something really provocative. He's also saying something really profound, and we're going to see in a couple of the, these different statements, it, it actually will lead to his eventual death and crucifixion. Because when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, I am the bread of life, he is not only identifying how he relates with us, but he is saying that he is in fact God. That he is, in fact, connected to Yahweh in such a unique and special way that he is claiming divinity. And so these statements that he makes are extremely powerful. And today we're going to look at the first of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. And, and we're going to look at this statement that Jesus says where he says, I am the bread of life. And we're going to unpack that and see what that means for us. You see, our big idea together today is this, that we are all spiritually hungry, and Jesus is the only one who can satisfy that hunger. So we are all spiritually hungry. Every single one of us, we have a, a deep longing and a hunger within us to connect on some level, we are all spiritually hungry. And Jesus, in making this statement that I am the bread of life, he says, just like all of us have this physical hunger where when we go for a few hours or even longer, a few days without eating, there's like this hunger that starts to roar within us. He says, for each and every person that lives on this earth and in this world, there is a spiritual hunger as well. And sometimes we feel it on that same level of the physical hunger that we have. And Jesus says, I'm the one who can sustain you. I'm the one who can quench that hunger that you have deep inside of you to connect with the God of the universe. So we're going to look 
and spend some time in John chapter 6 together today, starting in verse 25. But before we do, we just have to get some quick context, because anytime when we come to a statement that, that Jesus makes, and particularly an I am statement, it's so important to get the context of what was going on before he makes that statement, to understand it. And specifically with this one, it's really important because uh, what Jesus says is tied to a few events that happen right before he makes this statement, okay? John chapter 6, here's the context. Uh, Jesus' ministry is starting to grow and starting to flourish, and there is becoming this crowd that is starting to gather him, gather and, and listen to him. Now, an, an interesting thing happens during that time. You know, a couple thousand years ago, you know, there was no cell phones, no Twitter, no screens or anything like that, right? And so a, a fun thing that people actually went out to do was listen to religious leaders talk. You know, it, it was like something that, hey, what are we going to do tonight? Well, let's go listen to somebody orate. Let's go listen to somebody talk. And so Jesus is starting to get this following. People are, are, are enjoying what he's sharing, and they're starting to come and to listen to him. And so Jesus finds himself in this place where he is up on a hillside, and he's speaking, and there are 5,000 men there listening to him, plus more women and children. That's a big crowd, right? That's a massive group of people. And so as he is, is teaching and instructing people, it's going all day long. It's almost like a ministry conference, right? It's going all day long. And, and the disciples come to Jesus towards the end and they say, hey, it's been a long day. People are starting to get hungry. We should probably call this thing. It's, it's over with, right? Like people, when people get hungry, then they get hangry. And we got to make sure that everybody's happy. Should we just be done with this thing? And Jesus says, well, why don't you feed them? They say, but we can't feed them. It'd take like a year's worth of salary to feed them. And Jesus performs this amazing miracle. It's one of his most famous miracles. Maybe you've heard of it. Jesus takes uh, this five loaves of bread and two fish from a boy who's there who offers it up. And somehow, we don't know exactly how. We don't know the details of how it works, but they start passing it around, we assume. And every single person, probably about 10,000 people, there are 5,000 men plus women and children, are fed from five loaves of bread and two fish, okay? Profound, amazing miracle that if he wasn't already popular, people are going to get more and more drawn to this guy because he just did something amazing. After that, it says that they were going to come to Jesus, and it's almost like they wanted to make him king by force, the Bible says. But Jesus didn't want that, so he withdrew to a mountain. During the night, he actually walks on water, crosses to the other side of the lake, probably to try to get rid of or get away from the crowd that is about to try to come and make him king. And that's where we pick up this, this narrative. That's where we pick up what Jesus is about to say. Just performed feeding the 5,000. And then John chapter 6, verse 25, it says this. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And throughout this text, we're going to stop a couple times and pull out some things that I think God wants us to learn. And I'm going to stop right there, is I think it leads us to our first point, our first fill-in in your handout. And it's actually a question. The question is this, are we interested in Jesus or are we interested in what Jesus can do for us? 
Are we, are we really like hungry for Jesus or are we just hungry and hoping that Jesus can provide a meal for us? Remember what we just talked about, right? Jesus sees through the motives of this crowd, the fanfare that is starting to develop. And he realizes there's a lot of people that were coming and listening to me because they like to hear me talk, but now they're starting to come and listen because they're hoping that they can get fed, like literally food. You know, I think there's, there's, there's parallels even now to this day. We, we have a lot of college students that come to this church, right? And so we always joke, if you're on campus and, and, and you want a ministry event to go well, you provide free pizza, right? And then all of a sudden, everybody will come, you know? Uh, if we do an event, and it's like, oh, not that many people showed up. It's like, well, did you have free pizza? No. Oh, there's your problem, you know? And, and the same thing is kind of true here. Jesus is seeing that the, the food was what the people were interested in. It's like there are college students wanting some free pizza. And, and, you know, all joking aside, food was a little bit more of a, a commodity back then, right? I mean, it, it was way harder to come by even than we find ourselves in the situation that we are in right now in the Western world. And so imagine living in a society where food wasn't always that easy to get your hands on. And Jesus provided for it. And so people are drawn to him for that. But Jesus points out, listen, there are two very distinct, two very different kinds of food. There's food for the body, which of course is necessary, but there's another type of food. There's a food for our soul. There's a food for like the inner person, the inner spirit, which is absolutely essential. Jesus said, even more essential than the physical food which I provided for that big crowd, I can provide something way more important. You see, what we all need is that life, that life-giving food that is sustained and given to us by Jesus. See, he sees right through what everybody in the crowd is trying to do, get their momentary needs and desires met, and he says, listen, don't just be hungry for that. Be hungry for the eternal things that actually matter, that actually make a difference, that actually make an impact. Be hungry for me. You know, I, I told some of you this before. I, I get to work with the football team as, as a chaplain on the football team. And you hear a lot of different things on the sideline uh, sometimes when you're on there. And some of the things you can repeat in church and most of the things you can't. But one of the things that I hear that you can repeat in church is this. Right before a play is about to happen, a lot of times people will say this phrase. They'll say, go eat. Like they'll be on the sidelines and they'll start calling this out to their teammates. Hey, go eat. Go eat. And, and, and the, the implication of what they're saying is, I want you to go out, you only got about 10 or 12 seconds, give every last bit of effort you have for the next 10, because there's something within you, pull up that desire that you have, and give it everything you have on this next play. Go, go eat. Like, use that hunger in you. And they're not talking about physical hunger, they're talking about passion, they're talking about desire, and it's almost as Jesus is looking at this crowd and he's saying, hey, hey, go eat. I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about the spiritual reality and the passion that comes from following me. Are we interested in, in what Jesus can, can do for us? Are we interested in just getting a meal, or do we really want to know who he is and the impact that he can have on our life and how he can sustain us? 
Jesus, we jump back in, in in John chapter 6, verse 28. It says this, the crowd heard what he said, and so then they, they asked him this. They asked Jesus in verse 28, what must we do to do the works that God requires then? And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, believe in the one that he sent. Okay, stop right there because it takes us to our, our second point. Pleasing God is about belief, not about works. The crowd is actually picking up on what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, don't be so worried about your stomach, worry about eternal things. The crowd's saying, okay, let's listen to him. If we're supposed to worry about eternal things, well then what should we do? I want to work my way to you, Jesus. I want to try to follow you. I'll try to listen to you. I won't be so worried about my stomach. I'll be concerned about spiritual things. Well, what do you want me to do then? And Jesus says, listen, it's not so much about what you do. It's about what you believe. And I think that when we think about this crowd, isn't it so interesting that that's still such a big misconception around Christianity to this day? Many of us, and maybe even some of us who are here today, we feel like we can work our way to God. Maybe you even have like a desire for God within your heart. Maybe you're hungry for him. And so your first question is the same question that this group of people is asking. God, what can I do for you? God, I want to follow the rules. God, I want to get it all together and clean myself up so I can be one of your children. But Jesus sets it straight here, and he sets it straight throughout the pages of Scripture. To follow God is not about trying to prove our worth to him. It's about believing in him. It's about faith in Christ. And so much of our world thinks that you have to be a good person and work your way to God and clean yourself up. And the more that you do that, then the closer you'll get to God. And Jesus says, no, it's actually way simpler than that. Just believe. And as we believe, then our life starts to reflect Jesus more and more. Then the works start to follow the belief, but it doesn't go in the order of work hard, and then eventually God will be pleased with you. It goes in the order of believe, put your faith and trust in him, and then see how the fruit of your life follows the belief that you have. Jesus is, is saying to us, listen, following me isn't about works. It's not about our works anyhow. Because Christianity actually is about a work, but it's about the one amazing eternal work that Jesus did, the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross, where Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, but got crucified for it, but defeated death and rose from the grave. And so that is the one work that actually matters, not our works, but the works of Jesus. And when we get united with him in faith, that work that he did on our behalf is credited to our account, and we can believe in him. See, pleasing God isn't about works. It's about our faith in Christ. Jump back in in verse 30. It says this. It says, so they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's a really interesting response to Jesus' encouragement to them, isn't it? And I want to stop right there. Third, don't ask for more signs. Open your eyes to what God has already done. Don't continually ask for more signs, but open your eyes to what God, has ever, what God has already done. Isn't it just so ironic 
Again, why the context matters. 24 hours earlier, Jesus fed 5,000 men, 10,000 people total, like from five loaves of bread and two fish. Same crowd. 24 hours later, they're like, oh, yeah, well, okay, you say believe in you, but give us a sign, man. You got to give us a sign. Like, Jesus had to just be banging his head against the wall. Like, are you serious, people? What else do you want from me? I just fed you from nothing. Give us a sign. They're referencing back to the time in the wilderness where, where the Israelites were wandering before they went into the promised land, and God gave them manna that came from heaven. Jesus is like, again, I just fed you. Have you ever had one of those moments or those situations? I talk about my kids a lot, right? And if you're a parent, you're, you can probably relate to this. I love my kids. They're amazing. They, they're probably way more mature than their age in most areas. I usually share great stories about them, but this past week, uh, 12-year-old, 10-year-old, old and seven-year-old, we were on vacation, and we went to Florida, flew down there, it was an amazing vacation, we were on the beach, uh, we had so much fun, went to the beach every day, we just, we, 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 we spoiled them, you know, we had a great time, so we got back like really late Thursday night, and uh, we woke up Friday morning, and we're just like having a chill day, just sitting around the house, and inevitably, one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, was like, uh, I'm bored, you know, I'm like, we were just on vacation, you know? Uh, we never do anything. I'm like, wait a minute, what? I'm about to come unglued here right now. You know, something weird happened there too. I'm about to, you know, what in the world? How can you say that? How can you say that there's, that we don't have anything going on, that we never do anything? You know, if you've been a parent, you've experienced that. And I had to picture Jesus in this moment thinking, what in the world are you talking about? What sign do you want me to show you? I can't do anything more than what we've done. And I wonder again how similar we are to these people. You know, maybe some of us who are here, we've been waiting to actually cross the line of faith and put our trust in Christ because we're waiting for that perfect moment where we like have goosebumps or where God does something amazing and we've just been waiting thinking, you know, I just haven't found that perfect moment yet. God, you know, show me a sign again. Show me a sign again. Or maybe some of us, there's a, a sin in our life that, that we haven't quite given up yet. And in the back of our heads, I know this because I've done it before, in the back of our heads we think, ah, I'm just waiting for God to really do something to make sure that, that then I can, can, can give it up then I can hand that sin over to him. Maybe some of us are, are, are in a season where we're running from God, like I'm just waiting for a sign. I want to ask you, think back to all the amazing things God has done in your life. Look at his goodness and his grace that he's continued to pour over and over into your life. And I'm going to guess and I'm going to bet that we're a lot more similar to this crowd than we think. I guess the deeper that you think about it, the more that you can remember that there have been moments where God has shown up in your life over and over and over again. There have been powerful times where God has worked, where he's given you signs. And so don't wait. Don't continue to ask, show me something more. Show me again, show me again. Put your faith and trust in him. Surrender your life where you're running from him and say, God, I'm gonna base my life on all the things that you've done for me. I'm not going to ask for more. I'm going to look at what you've already done and be thankful for that. Let's close out with this last part in verse 32 where we get to the text where Jesus actually says the, 
the phrase that we're looking at today, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, is it not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven? But it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, fourth and finally, Jesus can satisfy our every need. Jesus can satisfy our every need. See, much of this dialogue is Jesus correcting many of the errors that the people in that crowd thought and many of the errors that we think. And he corrects a few more here. First, he says that the food of which he's speaking of is actually a person. It's not just a commodity, but it's actually a person. It is him. The thing that sustains us in life is Jesus. And second, he talks about this reality that once somebody is in a relationship with him, they will have that satisfaction that is everlasting, not just temporary. See, Jesus starts off these seven I am statements with saying, just like bread is necessary to live, just like food is necessary, if you want to live spiritually, you need to come to me and I will give you what you need to sustain your life. You know, I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about just like this reality of food and of bread, and I was even reading some research, and I was thinking about our world now, how different it is from 2,000 years ago in some ways. Humanity is so similar, but our world is so different. I was thinking back then, people probably would have died of starvation. It wouldn't be that rare for that to happen. And it still happens in our world, but very rarely in our Western world. And so what does it mean for us today to actually have Jesus be the bread of life? But then I started thinking about the issues that our world struggles with right here, right now, like in, in America. And, and I was reading and thinking about this reality that in America, people don't often die of physical starvation, but sadly, many of us, we die or we struggle from spiritual starvation. People die of loneliness. They die of, of guilt, of brokenness, of insecurity. They, they just kind of wither away. And, and so many of us, we find ourselves just stuck in a cycle of continually finding ourselves in a pattern where we can't get out of it. It's like we're, we're spiritually starving as a world sometimes when you look around. And Jesus says, I am the answer to that. I am the answer to that. I am the bread of life. This bread, it symbolizes the spiritual life that Jesus wants to offer to every single one of us. You see, humanity can't be satisfied in anything else. When we come to Christ, then and only then can we experience that full satisfaction that he brings and that he gives us. You know, in these seven I am statements, Jesus tells us about who he is. He invites us to get more acquainted with him, not from a distance, but on a personal level. And not only does he tell us who he is, but he tells us who we are. See, that's the, the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of resting in Christ, is that we don't have to define ourselves. We don't have to make up our own purpose or our own value. It's given to us by the God of the universe. See, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
And, and we get to take that in and soak that in and experience it as his children. And so as we're here learning about who Christ is, know that it's not only about who Jesus is, but it's also about who he says that we are, his beloved children, when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him, and when we allow him to be that substance that we need for our meaning and purpose in life. So let's pray and let's worship God for what he's already done for us and who he is in this world.